Mariano Lofil. Marca Mesuto Fil. Corner. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal. Marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Goodly morning to you, James. Goodly morning to you as well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I've had a quite pleasant weekend. Arsenal have won. Um, I ate some food, drank some drinks, sat in front of the fire, because uh, it's getting that way a bit, isn't it? The old winter's... Just yeah. coming in. Well, there's a little last spurt of summer, actually, in, in mm. London this weekend. There was a bit of sun around, so yeah. um, that was a very welcome thing. Yeah. I, I had a dream last night about meatballs that I, <laughs> I need to get off my chest. OK, OK, let's do it. Come on, what, what, what happened? In the dream, I, was really, I really wanted to eat meatballs, um, and I was eating them. Mm-hmm. But I was finding it quite hard because of the sheer size of these balls of meat. You know, the, the way they were sort of compacted together, it was literally difficult to get them in my mouth. The, the, the balls were so massive. Yeah. You, you couldn't get them in your mouth. I mean, what, what sort of size balls are we talking about here? Like tennis balls? Yeah, kind of, that sort of size. That's quite big. And I was really struggling, but I was very determined because I really wanted the, the mm. meaty goodness. And, at the, and I woke up from the dream <laughs> and I sat bolt upright and I sort of said out loud oh next time I'm just going to buy a, a packet of mints and just eat that instead <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a while to figure out what I was even thinking about but slowly I, I re remembered it all traced back to this meatball based meatball you know, dreams hysteria well but you know I, go on no no I mean it's it's uh it's a, it's a good, you know, they say you learn in your sleep, and I've learned, if I ever get a real craving for meatballs, I could save myself some difficulty and just buy a packet of mints. Well, you can do that as well, and you also know, even if you do decide to make the mints into meatballs, that there is an optimum size, that you don't want the balls so big that you can't fit them in your mouth. That's it. My eyes are bigger than my stomach and my mouth, it yeah. seems. I'm like Meza Ozil. <laughs> so uh, I, need to, uh, I need to be careful with that. Wow, OK. That's a very quite specific dream, all right. When is the I last know. time you had meatballs? Um, uh, to be fair, I think I had some in Morocco. So maybe it's sort of carried ah, over from there. Yeah, OK. That's lingering. Because uh, meatballs seem like a thing that people don't eat as often as they do, say, in cartoons with spaghetti. That's true, actually. You always see mm. spaghetti and meatballs in... Cartoons like Lady and the Tramp. Exactly. Yeah. It's an iconic scene. It certainly is. Um, if you minced it, it would have been more practical. <laughs> Especially for dogs. Dogs don't care if it's in meatballs or if it's just mince or, you know, if you've walked it into the ground with your shoe, they'll just eat it. They don't care. Is there a benefit to the ball? Is there some sort of, you know, does it seal the flavour in or something? You see, it depends really. I always, when I made meatballs, uh, what I used to do was I, I would fry them first um, mm. and... You know, sort of brown the meat and then put them in the sauce, in your pasta sauce, tomato sauce, whatever it is that you're making. But um, when I lived in Spain, I had two Italian friends, uh, Luigi and um, Matteo. So Luigi and Matteo, both of them insisted that when you make the meatballs, you, you shape them. Shape the balls into handy bite-sized balls, uh, to, you know, because you want the balls to be able to fit in your mouth. And then uh, you have your sauce on the go, you're stirring your sauce, and you drop them directly into the sauce without browning them or cooking them first because that way they they soak up all the 
the tomatoey tasty goodness. And that comes from their Italian mothers who should know a thing or two about that. So that's the way I've always done it. Oh, good. So, and to think, some people think we take too long before we start talking about the football on this show. This is ridiculous. But, I know. <laughs> well, it's practical. We're, you know, we're, being, we're giving people practical advice here and, uh, you know, cooking tips, I guess. I guess, I guess. Uh, tell you what, though. What? I didn't get into the football this weekend. I was turned away from the Emirates Stadium. Hang on, what? Why? Yeah. I was wondering because I saw your, um, your on-the-whistle video in, oh, know. you know, whatever, the, the Thomas Rosicki dungeon room that you, yeah. you obviously <laughs> live in with the yeah. cracks on the wall. And um, I mean, you could have picked somewhere better or, you know, you could, you could get a green screen, get a green curtain and do your videos in front of that and uh, use video technology to project like a brilliant, backdrop so you could do it. Or Look even, at me, I'm the Bahamas or wherever. Or even not project a brilliant backdrop have a lovely green curtain. Yes, that would be nice That would well. be nice, yeah. So what what the hell happened? Well, I suffered the ignominy. Ignominy? I never know what that word is, really. Of, uh, yeah, being turned away at the door. Basically, I, I, I work at most of the games. I apply for accreditation through one of my employers. And in this instance, something in the bureaucracy of it all, had, had gone awry with my month's application. So I turned up very casually, gave my name, and they looked down and it was the old, you're not on the list, you're not coming in. Oh, no. And I'd left it so late, I I had turned up at, you know, quarter to three or something, very casual, very cool, part of the furniture. It was actually too late, really, to resolve it. Fortunately, I live very near to the ground. Mm. I was able to dash home and, uh, and and stream the game. But it was quite funny because as I was walking away from the game, in classic fact fashion, a few people recognised me from my, you know, gunner blog videos or what have you. <laughs> and uh, they were like, what's going on, mate? The game's this way. And I sort of had to be like, ah, oh, ha, 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 ha. But inside, of course, I was crying. <laughs> crying tears of shame. <laughs> Bloody hell. So there and, you go. And of course, your season ticket is someone else is using your season ticket, someone I guess. using my season tickets. Right. So, well, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think there's a lesson here first uh, for you, James, is that it pays to be one of those journalists who turn up to the Emirates at one o'clock to well, indulge it. themselves in the catering and the buffet. I'm and the trying cakes. to lay off the catering. This is the problem. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a lovely spread they put on, but if you get there early, it's very dangerous. But if you get there late, these are the risks you take. They so they could have had meatballs there and everything. You don't know. Probably did. They probably did. That's probably what the dreams are about. But I am. Um, yeah, so, but I did see the game. You know, to be honest, mm. it's lovely to be in the stadium, but I saw it with the benefit of replays and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, that, that has its uses too. There is a, I mean, there are, uh, I'm, I'm right in, in saying that in the press box there are little monitors that allow there you are, to see replays. There are little monitors that allow you to see replays, that's true. Uh, but, you know, the, the, I'll be honest with you, the, mo- the monitors aren't exactly HD, guys. That's it's, true, you know, yeah, they're little, they're the little scabby things, so mm. something there for, for Arsenal to sort out for all you... If uh, they expect me to come back, yeah. then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so, I mean, you did get to see the game, and it was really quite an interesting game. I mean, first things first, we've got to say it's a really big win, an important win, the first time we've beaten Swansea since 2011. Um, Which is amazing in itself. That's yeah. Right? I mean, a team like Swansea should be our bogey team at home, but they very much have been and po- possibly could have been again, um, considering the way the game went. But it was a, a fantastic win. Manchester City dropped points. Tottenham dropped points. Um, so first and foremost, before we go into the bones of it, a really, a really important win. Really important win. I think, as you say, particularly in context, like with Spurs. You know, drawing at West Brom, City drawing at home to Everton, which I I didn't necessarily foresee. Um, are Everton are better than we th- than we think? 
Well, they are, because they, they were, let's not forget, they were rubbish last season, mm. really, really bad. But they've improved pretty dramatically under Koeman, who I think is the top manager, and they've signed... Uh, who's that midfielder they've signed who looks brilliant? I forget his name. They bought him off Aston Villa. Oh, yeah. You know the guy, I mean. Yeah, uh, the guy I, who was apparently, like, leading the way in terms of tackles and interceptions and... And He's sort else. of having a bit of a, a an Angola Cante of a season, isn't he? You know, yeah, just sort of. Cante's uh, quite... having a right Cante of a season. <laughs> he his name is uh, blah, 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 Gay Idrissa Gay, is it or something like that? But uh, yeah, I think so. He has been he's been brilliant, and mm-hmm. they're they're getting away with having. Phil Jagielka in their team, despite the fact that he's, you know, giving away penalties left, right and centre. But so. don't, yeah, don't they also, uh, I mean, they've got a couple of old-timers in there, don't they, really? Uh, Gareth Barry, Gareth Barry. Williams. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, fuck Everton, back to us. Yeah, so anyway, with, with all that going on, it was a really good win. And then after an international break, where typically we're somewhat ragged, I actually thought that this was a pretty coherent display, considering that they've all been mm-hmm. off around the world, but sort of undermined by some individual errors that gave away goals. Yes, yes. I mean, we, we went 2-0 up. Uh, it was quite dull, I thought, the first half. was It was a little bit on the dull side, and then it sparked into life. Theo Walcott uh, scoring. Uh, what I liked about this goal was the fizzing pass from Iwobi to, mm. to sort of um, dissect... The uh, the Swansea defence and obviously we moved the ball out to Bellerin. I, I thought at first it was like a weird Walcott just kind of bundled the ball in, but he, he snuck in behind the defender who was a bit dilly dallying and uh, yeah. it was tidy got a tidy touch, finish. I think didn't he? Defender mm. got something on it and then Walcott just nipped in between the uh, him and the goalkeeper. Uh, it was a good goal when Alexis played that very high pass. I slightly feared that that might uh, lead to the defence being able to recover. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like when you yeah. loft those. I mean, but he, he pulled that same trick off later from Ozil in the game, and obviously yeah. it's working a treat for him. Uh, but yeah, a, a nice little finish from Walcott, and same with the second one, really. I mean, not the not the most convincing defending uh, on the corner, you'd have no. to say, from Swansea. But, but he, a very yeah, neat he, take. Yeah, exactly. You've got to be there to take advantage of it, you know? You've got to be alert and on your toes, as they say. And Walcott was. It was a nice touch, turn and finish, and 2-0 up. And then you're thinking, OK, well, that's perfect. That's just what we need going in uh, towards the, the halftime break. Consolidate, take it easy, make sure you don't do anything stupid, and then... Of course, Granite Jacket did something a bit stupid. Um, this was an odd goal for me. What did you make of Petr Cech's attempt? Yeah, I, I, did, did he think it was going over or wide or something? Did he get his angles wrong? He just seemed to, to pull his hand away. It looked to me like he thought it was a better shot than it was. <laughs> like <laughs> It was like, oh, it's Gilfie Sigurdsson. Well, he'll put it right in the top corner. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But it, when you watch it back... Although it doesn't arc over him, it, it it's not right in the corner by any means. So I was a little bit surprised that it went past him quite as easy as it did. Maybe I'm being harsh. Sometimes, you know, it's difficult to perceive things exactly as the keeper sees them. Mm. But I, it did look a bit comfortable for Gilfie just to knock it over him into yeah. the corner of the net. Yeah, it did a bit. It was quite close to him. And I was watching the replays again before we started recording here. And there isn't that brilliant one. You know, the the, the replay from behind the goal. Uh, where you can see exactly how close he was. There's sort of a, a couple of s- slow-mo ones, but they're they're from the side, so you don't really, you can't really see. But to me, it looked like if he just put his hand up, he would have stopped it. Um, yeah. And he sort of uh, half put it up and then pulled it pulled it away. So a bit odd, but I mean, a careless mistake from from Xhaka, who uh, who obviously had 
a difficult afternoon. We'll we'll come back to to that bit in a minute. But um, yeah, there was a little bit of. I mean, just before we gave the ball away, we played a few slightly showboaty passes in the back four. You know, we were a little bit overcomplicated, I thought. Mm. And the actual incident where he gave it away was one of those classic kind of left-footed player, you know, <laughs> sort of not using his right foot at all, turning in an awkward manner, mm. and Sigurdsson nipped in. I mean, it, it, it wasn't... Uh, he didn't cover himself in glory in that particular instance. No. So, look, 2-1, and then, of course, you could feel the nerves coming in a bit. Uh, halftime, again, it was sort of fairly turgid stuff, I thought, really, in the first uh, part of the, the second half. And then Mesut Ozil scores uh, an absolutely brilliant goal on his birthday. Uh, the third goal he scored this season, all three of them have come with uh, passes from Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, well, that connection's obviously working out a treat. And this was a, a brilliant pass. And I, I don't know what if Swansea thought Ozil was offside. Maybe it just felt like the whole game kind of stopped while that ball was dropping. And the the way he finished it was... Extraordinary, really. I mean, you know, for a player who we don't think of as a confident finisher, that was as good as any of the volleys Van Persie produced down the years, you know, in terms of, like, the connection and yeah. uh, left the goalkeeper absolutely no chance. It was interesting seeing Arsene Wenger after the game talking about Ozil in training. I think you picked it up on the blog this morning. You know, he scores when he wants. He's got the technical ability to score when he mm. wants. And, uh, you know... I just wish he wanted to a little more often, but it seems yep. that this season maybe maybe he does. Maybe he does. I mean, I think when you talk about uh, Swansea thinking he was offside, I also don't think opposition defences are are expecting to see him quite as far forward as he is. Yeah, maybe. he's in the box an awful lot more this season, and you know we've we've seen. Uh, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago where you see him trying to beat the man, be the last man to break the offside trap. Uh, and he's playing quite far forward, and I don't think the opposition defences are really quite understanding what they're supposed to do with this because they're expecting him a bit bit deeper because he's the guy who's going to make the pass. He's the guy who's supposed to unpick their defence, and actually he's the he's the furthest forward at times. And uh, an absolutely brilliant uh, volley, brilliant technique. Uh, I know it was from from close range, but uh, you know you've seen players sky those time and time again. Uh, so three one, absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to pick up on something you said: a bit showboaty, a little bit casual at times, a little bit like ah, we've won this game or we're in a, a commanding position. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, again, I think we we became just a little bit complacent, and that was evident in the in the second goal. Certainly, that uh, people weren't properly switched on. Um, are you okay? <laughs> Falling off my chair. Now I'm all right. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, I mean, that, that, that second goal was a litany of errors, really, defensively, yeah. uh, from a concentration point of view. And I think it stemmed from being 3 1 up and just being a little bit fancy, Dan, when we should have, uh, you know, just consolidated. Or even if we'd wanted to you know, turn the screw a little bit, but you can do that in other ways. There were just a couple of flicks and tricks that weren't really necessary. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, it's also, I think, worth pointing out that Barrow, Barrow did give Monreal quite a, a difficult afternoon, didn't he? I mean, he, he did. He was, yeah, he was going at him all day, and he's a quick player. And uh, you wonder how much that has to do with the fact that Monreal had Alex Awobi in front of him, who, for all his ability, is someone who still needs to work on the defensive mm. side of his game. You know, I saw that guy's name on the team sheet, Barrow, and I thought mm. he must be rubbish just because his name is Barrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why, and apologies to anybody out there who's got a surname of Barrow. Maybe you're an excellent footballer too, and I'm underestimating you. But he was uh, he was really good. 
he was really good. Um, yeah. And he did give Monreal a difficult time. And I think what was interesting when you talk about Iwobi, I think he, he said himself that he needs to work on the defensive part of his game, which is true. And if you look at the goal, he tracks back and then stops so that when Barrow goes around Monreal, there's nobody there. There's no cover at all. Um, the cross into the box... Uh, Mustafi just left. It was Borja, wasn't it? It was the striker. Yeah. yeah so Mustafi right. left him. Um, Kaselny turns around to look, and Mustafi holds his hand up, going, "Sorry, sorry, shit, my fault." Uh, so you know, lapses in concentration there, and that was that was three two. And before we touch on the whole red card thing, I mean, I think we have to look at some of the chances that Swansea had. Oh, so many headers, right? There was uh, like two or three headers from fantastic areas. Barrow yeah. was was one of them. Um, he Leroy he Fur, actually had to, yeah, one. Leroy Fur had one. He uh, Barrow had time to actually take it down, uh, mm-hmm. you know, light a pipe, write a novel, and then took it in the net. He had that much time. Um, Sigurdsson had another brilliant chance as well. I think it was probably from the penalty spot. It could have been Barrow again. Uh, who who caused the problems? His low cross. Borussia having another yeah. one. Yeah, you know, so loads of chances. We did ride our luck a little bit, but you know, equally from an attacking point of view, we looked we looked pretty good as well. Um, it was really interesting when we did go down to ten men. The chances that we had to to score. I know Swansea were pushing forward, but you know, we looked quite dangerous on the break as well. So, yeah, uh, uh, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain had a good impact as mm. a substitute. Um, created two chances for the Walcott that. I mean, you know, Theo won't believe he didn't get a hat-trick in that game. It's so unfortunate with the one that, you know, bounced off one post, trickled across the line. Mm. And even the the second one, I mean, obviously he should score that stoppage time one way. Oxley chamberlain squares it, but it does skip off the ground just before he hits it and then clips off the, does it, the bar. Does it? I, th- I think it does, doesn't it? It might do. I'm going to watch it again here while we're while we're talking. Uh, uh, I've boasted about all the replays I've had, so, you know, maybe... Uh, I better be right about that. Yeah, okay. I'm going to just... watch it here. Okay, hang on. Where is it? Da, 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 da. Okay, here comes. Says to Walcott, go on, help yourself. Have a hat trick. He's thumping the ground. Here he is. I'm being here generous. It is, here it is. Oh, just ever so slightly it, it bobbles up, but I don't think enough to make that, um, I won't say acceptable. <laughs> I, you know, he should still score from there. But look, I mean, he, he did get two goals. Um, you know, I know there, there was a lot of focus on the chances that he missed, but it's. I think he's got six goals in his last five games. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in a fantastic run of form. He's, you know, working hard. So I think really the focus should be on, on what he did rather than what he missed. Uh, and I guess he'll be like fuming that he didn't get the hat-trick himself. I mean, he knows he, he should have got a hat-trick. Um, yeah. But I think you're right. He looked very dangerous, and that's you know largely a positive. Defensively, we were a little bit suspect. Mm. Um, I mean, we haven't talked about the sending off yet. We should probably give that a, a mention. We should, yeah, we should. So it was a well. So when it initially happened, mm. um, I thought it looked worse in real time than it did on the replay. Yes. I thought at first he'd really lashed out at yeah, the guy. I thought that too, actually, watching it. Uh, it looked much more like a kick than a trip in real time, certainly from the, the, the television angle. Um, but when you see the replays, it's just a trip. He just sticks his leg out to, to trip him. He doesn't boot him. He doesn't kick at him, really. Um, but what were, were you fearing a red card? Well, ever so slightly, only because, as I say, on first glance, it looked a bit more violent. Mm. Um, 
nevertheless, I was surprised. And when I saw the first replay, I was extremely surprised. I mean, you know, that kind of cynical play is kind of generally a nailed-on yellow card. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, the foul took place in the in the Swansea half. I mean, they, they were going to have a dangerous situation. I think from from an Arsenal point of view, one of the things that we've been missing over the years, over the last number of years, are players who are a bit cynical, players who will take the yellow card, take a foul on halfway, make a foul on halfway, take the yellow card, because you're preventing something that is potentially dangerous. And we've we've missed players like that. So I think, on the one hand... Um, people can be unhappy about the red car, but I think you've got to. I think you've got to be a bit like that, you know. Um, Ian Stone was saying to me yesterday on Twitter, you know, not necessarily proud of that kind of thing, but you've got to do it because everybody else does. Nobody wins the Premier League by being absolutely one hundred percent pure. There's an element of nastiness and cynicism and and everything else that you need to you need to have to be title winners I think and I think that kind of challenge from Xhaka is part of that and I'm not saying that I applaud um deliberate fouling or violent play or anything like that but there are just times where you give a guy a trip he falls over you take a yellow card and that's it so I'm astounded that that was a red card but you said something uh, on Twitter yesterday that the players yeah. were were told um, that any any attempt to foul a player without going for the ball was going to be a red card. Is that that's well? That's what I was watching uh, the esteemed goals on Sunday with Alex Oxlade Chamberlain as a guest, and um, perhaps we'll come on to that later because we had a couple of questions about the Ox's comments on mm. that show. But uh, they were discussing this issue, and Chris Kamara, who you know maybe I should take his word for it, maybe not insisted that a deliberate foul with no chance of getting the ball is a sending off as of this season. And then Oxlade-Chamberlain said, to be fair, we were spoken to about that in pre-season. Um, we were made aware of that, yeah. Mm. So we all knew that. Now, that I tweeted that and a, a bunch of people then came back to me justifiably and said, well, does that mean any shirt pulling yeah. should be a red card? Absolutely. What happens if a guy is going past you and you just like hang on to a shirt as we've seen players do time and time again? There's no attempt to get the ball. It's a deliberate cynical foul. Is that a red card? I, don't, I mean, unless I they're unless they're going to be consistent with this, and this is the thing that drives us mad all the time, isn't it? That there's there's no consistent. I mean, how many tackles like that do you see in a game? Was it the deliberateness of it? Because I, I mean, guess, the, you know, you can guess, you can see players tripped all the time, but the, perhaps there's an element of okay, he's gone for the ball, but he's he's too late. I mean, look at the some of the fouls that we've seen so far this season that have only been given yellow cards. There was a Costa. Remember Costa did one uh, early in the season. He like studs up on somebody's leg, and he only got a yellow card. I mean, that's dangerous. What Jacket did was just it was cynical. It was a bit nasty, but not much. It was just a trip. I can't believe that's a red card. I really can't. No, I find that very surprising. And, and I, as I say, I've been through the the FIFA laws of the game and I can't find anything to justify it. But sometimes referees behave with directives that aren't always absolutely tied to that. You know, the Premier League can have a, an input. Mm. I I, uh, I think what probably riled the referee was 
quite how quite how clear it was in the player's mind. You know, I think sometimes you can disguise a trip as an attempt to get the ball, whereas I think there was mm. no disguise about this. No, I mean it was <laughs> it was pretty crude. You know, there was no subtlety to it whatsoever. But I don't think you get uh, marks for artistic uh, impression, do you? When it comes to making fouls, a foul no. is a foul. Uh, and I, I guess if he'd like really booted him, if he'd kicked him, um, I think that I think probably it's more to do with the initial first impression that we had looking at the foul, where we thought, oh, he's he's after giving him a bit of a kick here. He's booted him. He's yeah. booted him, and he didn't. Uh, and I think perhaps it's more to do with the referee seeing it that way than part of any directive that they might have got. Well, what would be interesting about that would be if that he uh, if it's a sending off for violent conduct, you know, or uh, an aggressive tackle, that would be a, a three-game ban. It is a three-game ban. It is a three-game ban, mm. is it, officially? Well, then, because I, I don't know, but, you know, if you're sent off for being, say, the last man for a professional foul in that context, it's not a three-game ban. No, it's see. not, no. It's a one-game ban. Mm. So the fact that he's given him a three-game ban suggests that he perceived it as a violent tackle, yeah. you know, or over-exertion of uh, aggression. But what I find interesting as well is that Arsene Wenger came out and said, I, I'm not going to appeal it. Mm. What did you make of that? I'm a little bit surprised simply because of the length of the, the ban. If it was a one-game ban, I could understand 100% why they wouldn't appeal. I mean, but I a little think... fortunate with the fixtures, I think, because of the mm. League Cup, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I do think that three games for that is is way too much. Way mm. too much, you know? Um, so I, w- I would be minded to appeal, simply because even if the referee's first impression of that tackle was that it was a violent one and meriting of a straight red card for violent conduct, I think if it gets looked at again, you can see with the replays that it's not. It's a deliberate trip, but that's all it is. So I'm a bit surprised that Arsenal aren't appealing, to be perfectly honest. That said, the fixtures, as you say, uh, are relatively kind. And also, we're in a position where we've got uh, plenty of plenty of choice in, in midfield. So I think that's playing a part as well. But, you know, if Xhaka was a key component, if it was Mesut Ozil, for example, would we be appealing? I think we probably would. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the fact that we have the luxury of being able to go, well, Francis Coquelin's fit again, he's able to come in. Mm. But beyond that, there's still Mohamed Al-Nani. Yeah. Uh, I think that probably plays into Wenger's thinking. I don't know if there's more to it than that. Someone suggested that, you know, he, he'd like Xhaka to learn his lesson or ah. this degree of punishing the player. I think that seems like cutting off your nose to spite your face. Of course, yeah. Like, uh, maybe he didn't want to save my uh, credit with the FA for my appeals for something that where I really need Well, maybe. Maybe there's an element of that to it as well. So, um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just found it bizarre. Uh, and if if this rule is going to be implemented or if, if that kind of challenge is going to be given a red card throughout the season, then we hold our hands up and say, well, we were the first, but at least they're doing it to everyone else. I remain highly sceptical that that will be the case, though. I think we'll see worse fouls than that punished only with a, a yellow card. And that's what kind of annoys me about it, to be to be honest. Um, yeah. Well, we shall see. Mm. Certainly there's not been anything like that up till this point in the season that mm. I've noticed. Do you think, though, it might be something that uh, Xhaka learns from, like the day itself overall, that perhaps 
uh, he's going to have to realize that okay, I can't be I can't be that careless when I've got the ball on the edge of the box. I've got to I've got to move it more quickly, not try anything uh, silly because what he was trying to do was flick the ball past Sigurdsson himself mm. uh, and and take it into midfield, and he had a perfectly easy pass to Mustafi just across the box. Um, but the other thing that you know what I don't want is that Xhaka thinks okay, I can't make that kind of tackle anymore. That that spoiler foul that can prevent a dangerous situation. What he's got to learn is that he needs to do it with a bit more subtlety, I guess. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because I think of so many occasions in the past where we've been hit on the counter-attack and you know, you and I and other people have looked back at videos of those moves and been looked at all the opportunities for someone to bring somebody down <laughs> and halt the counter, you know, been and been frustrated at our our reluctance to do that. Mm. So we, we don't want to take that element out of his game completely. I thought it was an interesting performance from Shaka. I thought in some respects we saw some of what's really good about him. He yeah. played very deep. He took the ball off the bat four. You know, it struck me that when you're not playing with Olivier Giroud, when you're not playing with a, a conventional target man who can win the ball in the air, it's so useful for Czech to have the option of finding Xhaka early and being able to, you know, play passing moves from that position. Yeah. Uh, but... I we also saw maybe some of the the defensive maybe some of the concerns Arsenal has and some of the reason that Coquelin has been preferred for the majority of the season. You know, I think if you're going to play with that much responsibility mm. as the deepest line player, as you say, you need to be sensible. Yeah, I mean, when you look at his passing stats, it is 49 out of 52 passes completed, which is 94 percent. Um, 30 of those were forward passes. So, you know, he's he's looking to looking to make things happen, get the ball forward, move the team on. And it was interesting, uh, Arsene Wenger said, I think after the game, that he's not necessarily a, de- a defensive player. Wasn't that what he said? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he said clearly that he views him as more of a box-to-box guy anyway. Yeah. A pure holding I'm just going to see if I can find this... Um, yeah, here he is. He's talking about him. He says he's not a dirty player at all. Sometimes there have been some clumsy tackles because he's not a he's not a natural defender. He's a guy who likes to uh, he's a guy who likes to play forward. Mm-hmm. So so there you go. Well, look, you know, it is what it is. I don't think there's going to be any appeal. Um, we're going to have to suck it up and and live with Adam, and he should be back in time for the uh, for the Tottenham game, which would be nice. Nice timing. You do yeah. wonder, though, <laughs> if Arsene Wenger does have any reservations about his uh, temperament, <laughs> whether that's the game he's going to throw him back in for. You know? <laughs> that wouldn't be the one, would it? That's no. not ideal. I don't think so. I don't think so. So, um, But look, uh, we're second in the table, level on points at Manchester City, who are ahead of us on goal difference, I think by just a single goal. Um, and six wins on the trot. In the Premier League, which is uh, which is a nice little run to be on, you know, it feels like we're we're very much moving in the right direction. I, I get, you know, people will still have some reservations and and don't want to get carried away with themselves yet. But six wins in a row—it's the first time we've done that since uh, 2015, the 2014-15 season. We had a run of eight wins in a row, so this mm. is our best Premier League run since then. So, uh, you know, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable, even if we're kind of getting away with some stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, long may the getting away with it continue. Uh, and we talk about that Spurs game, but until then, we've got a series of fairly winnable fixtures on paper. Mm. You know, Champions League, we've got a couple of times against Ludogorets, Reading in the the League Cup, and then it's it's Borough and Sunderland yeah. uh, in the Premier League. So, 
I don't know, this is a fantastic chance to build some momentum before the inevitable November disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll touch on November maybe closer to the time and hope we can get through the rest of October um, with smiles on our faces because, Mm. like you say, the the fixtures are fairly winnable. We'll look ahead, I think, to the Ludogorets game in the questions part of the show. But anything else uh, from the weekend stand out? I don't uh, think so. I know. I'm just trying to think. I mean, we touched on City and and Spurs. Um, I can't. I can't think of anything else in particular. Liverpool, Manchester United tonight, of course. Liverpool Klopp versus tonight. Mourinho. Klopp versus Mourinho, and I guess uh, you know, set to be a uh, continue it being a good weekend for us because mm. one of those sides or both could be dropping points. Yes. Um, which is lovely. That's my ideal, really. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been a good a good weekend. A good weekend, all right. Okay. Well, look, we'll take a short break. We'll come back with part two and your questions right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions and topics you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Before we get into this section, I would just like to say thank you to everybody out there who has informed me of Phil Collins' world tour. Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you, uh, you want to share this with me. Um, <laughs> and th- th- that's kind of it. I don't know what else to say without being like completely rude about it. <laughs> I mean, we could all club together, maybe. We could do like a Kickstarter <laughs> and see see if we can get you tickets. VIP backstage tickets and everything, yeah. Yeah. Would you like that? No. I'm, I'm just I trying to find out. I really wouldn't <laughs> I'm like trying that. to find out if he's coming to Dub- Dublin. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, can you imagine? Yeah. Well, you find out there and I'll I'm, react, I'm I'll react uh, appropriately. I'm, Aberystwyth? No. Is this it's close? No. No. I can't. I don't think he is. It's a, it's a oh, real shame. Boo. What a. Damn. Damn. I know. Sorry, oh, well. that must be a real blow to you. Oh, well. <laughs> maybe maybe um, I'll get myself over to Aberystwyth. Yes. Do I they think have a big all... concert venue in Aberystwyth? They've got the Aberystwyth Arts Centre. Right. How uh, many does that hold, I wonder? I don't know. Is this it? And finally, Phil Collins. No, that's a tribute show. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine, oh my God, imagine you're like a Phil Collins tribute act. What the fuck has gone wrong with your life? They're called, and finally, Phil Collins. They are, and that's when I talked to Phil Collins tour, that's the first thing that came up. (laughs) Phil Collins has got me furious. And finally, Phil Collins are taking all his ticket sales. They're recognised throughout the industry as the market leaders and definitive Phil Collins and Genesis tribute show. Wow. I mean... (laughs) Fuck that life. They faithfully recreate all the classic hits from the Phil Collins and Genesis timeless back catalogue. Wow. Well, you know, if they're they're selling out in Aberystwyth, they're doing something right, for sure. That's genuinely extraordinary. Mm. Um, Well, I definitely think we could afford to get you to one of those shows. (laughs) Would that be better or worse than seeing the actual Phil Collins? That's a really good question. I don't... I think it would... Would it be... Would it be... It's sort of like diluted country, isn't it? (laughs) I think it may well be. You know, it it would be like um, having to spend time with a Jose Mourinho impersonator. I mean, it wouldn't be as bad as being there with the the real thing. It would just be some twat fucking doing an impression of him for some (laughs) reason, trying to make a living as a... 
as an impression of uh, yeah. So anyway, no, I think we need to move on, James. I'm sorry, I've had okay. far far too much um, Phil Collins in the, in the opening part of this podcast. Before we go. Uh, on to the questions. Uh, actually, this is a little bit of a question, but I got an email uh, last week, and the subject line is, you will open this email and put it in the next Arscast with James. It's a Jedi emailing us. Well, it's not. It's a guy called Ted Thierry Hamilton. And he okay. says, hi there. Just to say, I am only 13 and have listened to the Arscast for about two years. My mum doesn't know it's rude, so try not to blow my cover. <laughs> um, so he wants to know he's, he's, he, I'm going to do the questions he says I'm going to the Ludogorets game and the Reading one too what are your predictions and what is the atmosphere like what sort of a team will Wenger put out and he said thank you for the long entertainment Ted Thierry Hamilton P.S. my mum named me Thierry after the god himself so there you go let's just focus on the Ludogorets game what is your prediction for the kind of team Arsene Wenger is going to put out and what kind of an atmosphere can Ted expect well, interesting. We had a question on Facebook from Adam Zilberstein, which is a name I really have a lot of time for, that he says, do you think Wenger should give Lucas Perez a chance for the upcoming Champions League match and leave Sanchez on the bench as a super sub? Do you think he'd, he'd be considering rotating in this game at all? Yes, I think he, he will be, and I think he should, to be perfectly right. honest. I think he needs to start using the squad a little bit. Ludogorets at home, again, is one of those where... Look, you, you can't take anything for granted, but I think you also have to put some faith in the, the depth and the quality of your squad. Uh, and if, let's say, the priority this season is the Premier League, which I guess it is, of course you want to progress in Europe and do well in Europe and win this group, but I think it's one of those games where he should be bringing in maybe three or four players just to keep things fresh. I think with Olivier Giroud still injured, it would be a good chance to give Lucas Perez a run out. Um, you know, he's been sitting on the bench. He's been biding his time. You can understand why he hasn't really been playing because, um, you know, I think if we'd been 3-1 up, 4-1 up on Saturday, he would have taken Alexis off with about 15, 20 minutes to go and he would have put Lucas Perez on to give him a run out. But as it is, you're you're 3-2, you're down to 10 men, you're hanging on, you're not really going to throw on a striker. So... Um, he's been a bit unfortunate in that regard and also the fact the team has been playing very well and, and effectively. So he's having to bide his time. But I think a game like this is one where he could definitely expect a, a bit of a run out. Um, you could see a couple of changes coming in. I think obviously Ospina is going to come in. Mm-hmm. I think Kieran Gibbs could come in. Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain maybe could get a, a bit of a run out. Um, so there is scope for Elneny, I think, as well, uh, will be a guy who, who should get a game to, uh, on Wednesday night. So, uh, yeah. You might as well play Granit Xhaka, I guess, as well, because he can't play <laughs> yeah. in the next three league games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's, room, for, there's room for a bit of manoeuvre here in this game without really impacting the... Uh, the overall quality of, of the team that we put out. And do you think he will, though? Because, you know, when, when we've got a bit of momentum, Arsene mm. does like to stick with a, a winning side. Uh, do you think he'll recognise the need for change next week? When do we play at the weekend? Is it Saturday or Sunday? We play Saturday against Barra. Right. I so, I, yeah, I think, he, I think he will. I think there'll be a few changes for this one, yeah. I hope so, mm. anyway. Um I mean, we can't keep playing the same players in every game because they are going to get a bit tired. And I understand the momentum thing, and I understand the 
the desire to, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it to a certain extent. But it's not as if it's perfect either. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think he's got to, because otherwise those guys on the bench are going to be rusty. They're going to be unhappy. And this is part of his challenge this season. Um, you know, we've wanted him to have a big squad to choose from for a long time where he's got cover in almost every position. I think he's got to be able to to show that he can use that cover as well. I think he can do because the players that we're bringing in are good enough for it not to have a sizable impact on the way that we'll play. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think Lucas Perez would be an interesting one to get a start. He's been unfortunate, I would agree. I mean, he's he's not he's not even really getting off the bench, is he, of late? Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, this could be a good chance for him. Ludo Goretz, I don't think... I don't, it's important we don't underestimate them. I suppose mm. we don't write them off, but the squad's strong enough now that we should be able to change it up and still be mm. more than good enough to be there. Yes, yes. Okay. Should we have another question? Yeah. Yeah, let's. Uh, let's. Okay, so this one is... We mentioned him there, but uh, from Jake Varney on Twitter, and he asks, uh, thoughts on the Ox wanting to get more game time? His performances must improve, and where would he go? Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I understand completely a guy of 23 who wants to play football and wants to play every week. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the worst kind of guy is a guy who's happy to sit there and and not play or just, you know, be part of a squad and not really have the ambition to to fulfill their talent or potential. So I understand it. But I think the position that he's coming from, he's a guy who's had serious injury problems. They've ha- uh, hampered his development. And... Unfortunately for him, Alex Iwobi has emerged to to sort of take the place that you might expect uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain would have had mm. uh, in, in this current squad. I do think that Arsene Wenger is going to give him every chance, though, because Joel Campbell, for example, was another guy who was perhaps in his way, um, and he's gone. So Arsene Wenger has been prepared to, to do that because he has some faith in Oxlade-Chamberlain's talent and, and ability. Uh, but, you know, as we said, uh, I think I've said it on the, the blog this morning, first and foremost, he's got to stay fit and available. And that's been, you know, one of his big problems is that uh, the injuries have meant that he hasn't been able to to uh, to build any form or momentum. I think there are promising signs from what we've seen from him so far this season. But if he were to go, where is he going to go? He's not going to go to any of the big clubs, really. You know, well, I think I mean, he's going to have to do, if he were to go, he'd have to take a step down. And, you know, when you take a step down at that point in your career, it's hard to it's hard to make a step forward again. So I think he's just got to be a bit patient. I understand why he's a little bit antsy, but it's up to him when he does get the chances to show that, uh, you know, he can be a, a significant part of the squad. It was interesting watching his demeanour on... Did you see Goals on Sunday with Alex? I didn't, I didn't watch it, no. He was on with his dad, Mark Chamberlain, and... Um, it was it was fascinating actually because they at one point they were like well we're going to bring up your uh, career stats now Alex you know your starts and goals and assists for Arsenal and he was like oh god no please don't show that mm. and when they showed it he was like very clearly uh, frustrated and disappointed at how limited an impact he's made really you know mm. how few starts how few goals he talked uh, at considerable length about how when he was a kid he. He didn't recognise how... He thought a good performance was enough, but now he feels like you need to convert that into goals and assists, really, in order Mm. to be a valuable player and certainly perceived as such. And I was quite surprised by... uh, You know, I I imagined him to be a bit frustrated with the situation in terms of playing time and stuff, but I was quite surprised by how uh, frank he was about it and how... Mm. uh, 
how much it seemed to have affected him. It was a, it was an interesting interview, but and and they talked about the summer just gone, and he was asked about clubs coming in for him, and you know he and his dad were saying, oh, some big clubs did come in, but he, you know he wanted to stay at Arsenal. I mean, you mm. never know how how true that might be uh but uh yeah i got the sense that, it, that it's approaching crunch time for him really i think next summer he, he's going to face a big decision and and so is the manager assuming it's still arson in charge well yeah i mean i think the thing that we have to point out as well is that he like Mesut Ozil and uh, alexis sanchez is into the final two years of his contract right there and there go. hasn't really been much talk about what's going to happen in that regard. Everyone's focused on Ozil and Alexis, uh, of course, for understandable reasons, but you do wonder has there been maybe a decision made from from Arsenal's point of view? Are they offering him a new contract? Does he want to sign a new contract? Does he want to commit further years to Arsenal if he feels he's not going to play enough? But ultimately, you know, it comes back to him. It comes back to him making himself indispensable. It comes back to him performing um, consistently to a high level every time he gets a chance, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and give the manager something to really think about. You know, like you, you said, the, the, the cameo against Swansea was very good, very effective. I thought he added something uh, to us, you know, playing with 10 men. He gave us a real outlet. There were a couple of lightning breaks that he was involved in. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's down to him and what he does. And uh, I do think Arsene Wenger is going to give him the chances. If he doesn't take those chances, then maybe the manager's got a, a bit of a decision to make. So we'll see. Yeah, interesting one. But what you would have to say is that I do think there have been some positive signs from him this yeah, season. And we agree. saw that again at the weekend. You know, I thought when he when he was on the ball, he, he, he talks often about not feeling like a natural winger. Mm. Um but that's where he's playing at present, so he's, he's got to make the best of it. And I think yeah. he was very effective on the break uh, against Swansea. All right, OK, here's a question. We have a couple of questions, actually, uh, about Nacho Monreal. This one comes yes. from Jump Punch Kick at Jump Punch Kick. That's difficult to say. Um, and they say, who are we going to get to replace Monreal? And is he turning into a weakling versus extreme pace? Or is he just not protected? And Max Schilling says, do you think Gibbs is an adequate replacement for Nacho when he leaves? Well, um, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the left back uh, situation was one that we were strongly rumoured to be you know, on the case for in the summer in the mm-hmm. transfer market. And in fact, I think in the last week or so, we've seen effective confirmation from Gibral Sidibe, who moved from uh, Lille to Monaco this summer, that Arsenal were indeed in for him and that they wanted him to play as a left-back. Part of the reason he chose yeah. Monaco is that they want him to play as a right-back, which is his more natural position. Um, and there was a lot of talk about Ricardo Rodriguez, wasn't there, at Wolfsburg? Yeah, there were a couple of young guys, the guy at uh, Celtic and the guy at, at Leicester. And I think that yeah. was based... I think that was because they thought... Gibbs was going to leave. Yes, it seems that way. And uh, I'll be honest, I was quite surprised that Kieran Gibbs stayed in the end. Uh, I think it's a good thing that he stayed. I think it's nice to have continuity in the squad. I think he's a, a very capable understudy to mm-hmm. Nacho Monreal. I would say I no longer really believe that he can go on to become the first choice fullback. I think he had that chance and, it, and never quite kicked on and established himself. And I think at his age now, it's going to be difficult for that to change. I don't really see him as, as more than what he is at the moment, which mm. is a, a very handy squad player. Yeah. And and, and he, he did a good job at the weekend, you know, an important job coming on to give Morel cover at a time when we were struggling in the game. And fortunately, 
Barrow went off around that time. So. Yeah, I mean, the question was, do you think Gibbs is adequate replacement for Nacho? Yes, he is adequate replacement. I think he's a, a pretty solid uh, Premier League player. But, I, you know, he obviously hasn't kicked on the way people would have hoped, you know, when he was a younger player. Yeah, I think he's an adequate replacement in the short term if Monreal's unavailable or injured or something. But, if, you know, in terms of his long-term successor, I think we might need something a little bit better, don't you? Mm, yeah. In the long term, yeah. But, I mean, what do you make of the Monreal situation? He, you know, last season was one of our most consistent performers in a season where things were a bit more difficult than they are at this moment in time. We were a bit more ragged as a team. We seem to have our shit together a bit more this season. And he's, he's. I, I don't think he's been playing terribly, but there have been a couple of games where he's been exposed in ways that have been a little bit surprising. Yes, I mean, we talked about Iwobi as a possible factor in that, but, you know, it's not as if... I mean, who was playing in Iwobi's position before Iwobi? I'm just trying to figure it out who would have been providing the protection. Well, Theo Walcott played a long spell last season, didn't he, on the left? Alexis, though, I guess, as well. Alexis would have played from the left a fair amount, Uh, who is, you know, tireless in his work, I think. Uh, I, I think that might be part of it. I mean, we've come up against some sides with some quick wingers, and Montreal's been a little exposed uh he's you know he's a good defender he's not lightning quick um but he's a very very smart defender and usually that that counts for more you mm. know you, you can you can get away with not being the quickest if you're positionally astute i don't know i, I think it's too soon to say that there's a downturn in his f- performances or that he's aging or that it's anything as kind of terminal as that i think I, I think it's just a, a sign of a, a team adjusting to a new shape with a way beyond the left and being mm. not quite as defensively aware. Do you think there's anything more sinister to it? No, I mean, I think it, it could be just, uh, you know, he set high standards for himself over the last 12 or 18 months and people come to expect those and when he doesn't quite reach them, um, it becomes quite noticeable, very noticeable and people have obviously picked up on that. Uh, I, I think for the most part this season he's been pretty good, but there have been occasions where where he's been exposed and when he's had some some difficult moments. And you tend to remember those more than the the consistency, because when you're watching the same thing over and over, a guy who's defending well, passing the ball well, intercepting well, tracking back, you know, it becomes routine. So you you, you kind of take it for granted a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'd be with you. I think it's a bit too soon to write him off. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if Gibbs got a run tomorrow night in the Champions League, and if he plays well, maybe you know the manager might be minded to to keep him in there. But yeah, it's too early, and I, you know I think it's perhaps some of the criticism of him is a bit unfair considering how good he's been, uh, you know, over the last uh, over the last year, eighteen months. Yeah, I think that's definitely true, and I think that you know it's tempting to put Gibbs in there, and maybe he will get run out midweek. But mm. I think Monreal's relationship to with Koscielny on that side of the defence is very important mm. <clears throat> and I think that uh, you know keeping a consistent back four has its benefit too so I, I wouldn't be in a hurry to replace him mm. alright uh, got another one oh sorry an advert's come on on my computer and it really scared me it was a, an advert for a horror film and it just sprung as a pop up <laughs> genuinely terrifying I thought my laptop was haunted briefly no we couldn't hear it at this end unfortunately so oh well there you go fearing things again so uh, let's have a question from Facebook from Rob Whiskey and he says Rob Whiskey yeah alright uh, he says uh, would the sale of either Sanchez or Ozil be more significant and damaging than Robin Van Persie leaving for Manchester United. Yes, I think so. 
I think so because I even even if cool. even if the Van Persie sale came at a time where we were beginning to haul ourselves out of that period. I mean, we went through a period though, didn't we? You know, Fabregas left, Van Persie left, Nasri left. Not that you know Nasri is necessarily one of our biggest players, but you know, just the, the, the way that he was lured away elsewhere. Mm. I think the Van Persie one was the final one there. Um, we, we managed, just about managed to keep Theo Walcott, didn't we, just just after that. But I think now, given the fact that we are, A, able to attract players like that in the first... I mean, Van Persie was a, was a, a product. He was somebody that we developed from a promising young talent into a world-class talent. I think people kind of overlooked that. He wasn't uh, a brilliant player uh, at that level when we bought him. Um, he developed into that here, but... Uh, Alexis and and uh, and Ozil were brilliant players when we bought them. You know they yes. were established top top talent when we bought them. So uh, that was a bit of a step forward for us. And obviously being able to spend that money on transfer fees and being able to bring those players in from clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona, even if there were mitigating circumstances, you look at the Bale thing and the Suarez thing that enabled those deals to happen. You know we were still there uh, and able to spend the money. Uh, I think if we can't keep them, I think that that is a big blow to the perception of Arsenal as one of the the big teams uh, in Europe. You know, and I know we're we're not on the same level as Barcelona or Real Madrid or Manchester United, Bayern Munich, but you know, having taken that step forward to take another step backwards, which it would be if we if we lost either of those players, I think it would be a step backwards. Um. I think that would be quite damaging, all right, yeah. Um, what did you make of Arsene's comments about Ozil's contract after the game? Did you think he sounded confident? In in one way, yes, he sounded quite confident. In another way, um, not so much. Uh, he said it's not just money. He said Arsenal can win titles, of course, but that's what we have to show. That was the key line for me, because he said, I don't think he needs convincing. He wants to stay here. And if you have a good bank, call me. Ha ha ha. You know, we've got to pay these guys a, a lot of money. But I think the other line where he says it's it's up to us to show that we can win titles. That is the key line for, I think, uh, for Ozil and for Alexis. I mean, they're both 27, 28. Ozil's just gone 28. So, we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're in the peak years of his career and he's going to want to win the Premier League and he's going to want to at least be in a team that can have a go at winning the Champions League and not crash out at the round of 16. So those are the things that we have to address and that's what the manager has to address as well in terms of um, in terms of the way that the team is performing. I think current form will help if they feel like the team is progressing and, uh, and developing well and playing well because, you know, last season you'd be hard-pressed to get them to sign a new deal because everything was so all over the place. The football we played was terrible and nobody could quite figure out what we were supposed to be doing. And you can see there's more cohesion. You can see there's more there's more to this team than, than last season's team, I think. So, um, Do you yeah. think they should... Because uh, Arsenal sort of said in the past, oh, well, you know, we'll look at the situation <clears throat> in January or what mm. have you. Given, given how well the team is playing now and given how well those players are functioning in the team, should they be pressing ahead and trying yeah. to... Yeah, I mean, I think the offer's, on, yeah, the offer's on the table. The offers are on the table. They're, they're talking to, to, to Ozil's people and to Sanchez's people. Um, the offers are there. 
But I, I do wonder if it's about, for, for these guys, whether it's about more than, okay, well, I could get 200 grand a week from Arsenal. That's very nice. I mean, I think they deserve and look for parity with some of the top players in the Premier League. That is the financial reality that we exist in. That this, the new television deals um, not only have made uh, clubs richer, it has kind of um, narrowed the gap. So you could say, well, there's no way... Like a few years ago, the idea of a £200,000 a week or £220,000 a week player at Arsenal was ludicrous. You'd say, we, we can't do that, but we can do that. So they're looking for that financial parity, and that's the reality of Premier League football these days. Is that all, you know, we, we're a big club, and if Manchester City can pay a bit more than us, we can't, we can't allow that big of a gap between our top players and their top players, especially when our top players are among the best players in the Premier League. At this moment in time, Ozil and Sanchez are right up there with the best players, best performers, most consistent. So why wouldn't they want those those wages? But it's also to do with the team being competitive. I mean, there's another question on Facebook from Yushan Chua. I hope I'm getting that right. Uh, he's from uh, Singapore. And he wants to know, does, does Arsene Wenger's uncertain future with the club have anything to do with the extension of players' contracts? Is that playing a part, do you think? I don't know. Um... Is it playing a part? I think it might do. It might do. I mean, it, it, it casts a certain uncertainty over the entire club, doesn't mm. it? And I think that inevitably a player might be concerned about that. The, the one thing you would say is Meza Ozil and Alexis Sanchez, it's quite unlikely that whoever comes in will go, well, they're not my type of player. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. They're not someone who's going to be deemed dispensable. It's not like if you are an Oxlade Chamberlain, say, and you're like, well, what will the new manager think of me? I think sure. they can be pretty assured they'll be an integral part of the team. But what they can't be certain of is how the team will fare in those years, uh, you know, if I should Arsene choose to go. I think there there is a presumption within the club, though, and Santi Cazorla has alluded to it himself, that the manager will stay on. I think mm. everyone's operating as if that's what, what's going to happen. Because realistically, if he doesn't, then it will most likely be because Arsenal have had a bit of a disastrous season and that's that can be true of any manager, whether they've got a contract or not, mm. you know? But if Arsenal then have take. a yeah, if Arsenal then have a disastrous season and Arsene Wenger leaves, does it then put the positions of Ozil and Sanchez into more jeopardy because they're going to feel like well we're not in a we're not well, in a competitive yes, team we don't know who they're going to bring in we you know there's a there'll be an air of uncertainty I mean I think yeah I mean if that were to happen it would be absolutely seismic wouldn't it the the just the Oh, wow. I don't even want to think about that. Let's have another question. <laughs> just what it would all mean, though, if that was, if that was the case. Your two best players, uh, the manager, and just the, the, you know, the, the foundations that Arsene Wenger has of the club, when, when they're taken away to a certain extent, when he goes, you know, we've spoken about it before, it's a big job. There's a restructuring that needs to happen to a certain extent. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it would be, it would be, uh, it would be quite difficult. So. Well, I, th- I think, you know, it- Regardless of what happens with the manager, in some ways you want kind of totemic players to help oversee that transition. You know, even even when Arsene does eventually go, mm. which if it isn't this next year, it'll be in three years' time or five years' time, you want big players who can help the club retain a sense of identity once he's gone. And it would be lovely yeah. if Erzul and Alexis were among those. I think it's obviously incredibly important they get those contracts signed, and I do hope, I desperately hope it's sooner rather than later. But sure. I understand their desire to wait and see what happens and, mm. and you know ultimately we've got the money we can pay them the money they want 
it's the question of whether we can be competitive enough to satisfy them. True, true. Okay, right. Uh, here's a question from Paulie Boy, who is at P. Fortunato1985. And he says, when I was young, my uncle told me that when fouls got out of control, the referee could issue a blue card where all the players had to line up and the ref would kiss them all. I, be- <laughs> I believed it. <laughs> if you could implement a new card, what colour would it be and what rule would it hold? Well, I mean, I'd love to see the blue card come into play for start. I mean, that sounds terrific. Um <laughs> uh, at least it's at least it's just kissing and it's no more blue than that. But I, <laughs> uh, what card would I have, and what rule would it have? I mean, could you? I mean, Arsene Wenger made the, the the quip at the weekend, didn't he? When he saw he saw the Xhaka challenge, he said, "I thought it was a deep yellow, but the referee gave a bright red, which was yeah. great." But what I mean, could you the orange card, the fabled orange, the card. orange card, the deep yellow? I mean, I think there could be a good case to be made for. Let's say a foul like Xhaka, where it's not a red card, but maybe it deserves a little bit more punishment than a yellow card. So, so could would that we, be a sin bin? Yeah, could we look at a sin bin type thing, where maybe. you're you're off for five minutes or ten minutes? Yeah, I feel like it would have to be ten minutes to sort of to mm. to feel like a thing, you know. Um, yeah, that would be a nice idea, and it would be. What, yeah, that kind of offence, which just sort of sits somewhere between the two, really. Yeah. Would you get a suspension for an orange card? No, I don't think so. But maybe if you got a number of orange cards, you know, like the totting up period or a thing with yellow contribute cards. contribute to your yeah. total. Yeah, so it would be like a, a yellow and a half, for example. So whenever you get the disciplinary points, uh, your your orange cards would be taken into account. Yeah, I quite like that. Um you, you can get a black card at Nando's that gets you unlimited free Nando's. <laughs> they do have a black card in GAA, in Gaelic oh, football. Really? Yeah, so what that means, if you get a black card, it means the referee has deemed that you've committed an offence, which means you can take no further part in the game, but you're allowed to be replaced. So you can bring a substitute straight swap, but your offence is so egregious that you're not allowed to play any further part in the game. Oh, I really like that. I really like that. It's a bit of a shambles, though. It's the, like it's hard to know what's the, what's the. Um, actually, actually, the Jacques foul would be a great example of that, where it's so cynical and so deliberate that you would get, you probably get a black card for that. But is it quite vague? Is it sort of the referee's discretion? Yeah, there's a lot of discretion going on, and people are like, "Well, that's not worthy of a." black card that should just be a yellow card so it adds another layer of inconsistency to everything but that's uh that's another system uh, that takes place so that might be an idea the black card mm. imagine it'd be like it'd be like it feels like you're cursing someone <laughs> like the black spot or something <laughs> it should have a skull and crossbones on it yes that would be great <laughs> mm. um i'm just trying to think i mean i'm mainly going on color now i'd like a gold card yeah, for what though? I mean, what do you do? What do you have to do to get a gold card? And what's the? I mean, what? Why would you get a gold card? It'd be good if there was a card. Yeah, it'd be good if there was a card. Is that, that was like getting like... a star on your homework from your teacher? A gold star? If you do, like, if you score a hat trick, the referee displays a gold card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I don't know what the benefit would be. Have you seen the film The Purge? I don't know if I have. What's who's in that? I think the concept of it is. I think it might be called that. It's like a kind of horror film. But uh, I think the concept is that basically 
as opposed to because crime gets out of control what they do is they have very strict uh laws but then they have a a period of time where there's like no law it's completely lawless it's like a free it's a free-for-all for, right i don't know a day or a week or whatever and anything goes and the idea is that the people who are all violent aggressive can use that time to get out all their angst that would be quite a useful thing to implement in a football match mm. just be like okay well this game's spiraling out of control rather than play my blue card where you have to be nice to each other i'm gonna play you know whatever it is purple card and it's five minutes anything goes <laughs> sort it out amongst yourselves yeah just fucking kill each other just yeah. uh, like pfft. oh wow okay that'd be good i just looked it up it's got uh, ethan hawk in it so well, there you go yeah that's all you need to know, really. It's, mm. It sounds like a winner. Um, so, yeah, I'll, say, I'll have a purple for the purge. I'll have the five-minute purge okay. in every game. All right, that's good. I think we've we've solved that one. Uh, have you got one more? or um, I liked this one, to be fair. Uh, okay. This one came from Robin Stanford, and he said, uh, why can't Walcott produce his Arsenal form in, in an England shirt? Oh, wait, no one actually cares. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, Basically. I mean, it's amazing how much discussion that's provoked, uh, certainly over mm. here on this side of the, the pond. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, it's it's ludicrous. Which club player does reproduce his club form in an England shirt? Have you seen England play? They're absolutely dire. Yeah, I mean, could it be that perhaps playing with Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez and Alex Iwobi uh, gets more out of Walcott than having, you know, fat Wayne Rooney lumbering around the midfield, passing it from fullback to fullback. Uh, well, I mean, I'm just, just throwing be, it out there. It might just be. And, you know, so much of Walcott's form this season has been down to how Arsenal's system has suited him, you know, playing with Alexis, that kind of mobile striker's creating mm. all that space from centrally. You can't just port that from one team to another and expect an identical performance. I think mm. it's so ludicrous that yeah. people have... Uh, even been discussing it so I, yeah. I enjoyed that alright I've got one here uh, from Damien at coit underscore sith underscore and he wants to know which addition to the squad would be better A Android Dennis Bergkamp or B Ghost Mark Overmars <laughs> I uh, that's that is tricky but surely I mean as much as I love Mark Overmars and you know he did have that kind of apparition like quality of ability you know popping up behind the fullback Android Dennis Burkamp. I mean, he, he was a bit like the Terminator anyway, mm. Dennis, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but I, I'd be very cool. I'd like it if he had that Terminator thing of, you know, like part of his face coming off and you could just see the red light of his eye behind it. Yeah, when the uh, when the referee issues the purple card and it all kicks off and there are people like swinging out of him and like the bits of skin and robotic bits and he's still, you know, one of his arms is missing and he's still going. He had that. He had that kind of Android air to him, didn't he? Because he was sort of like ruthless and... and brilliantly technically able and could be quite aggressive but like his face never betrayed that you know he was mm. kind of uh, always seemed placid but you knew that he was right playing right on the edge yeah so i'd have to say android burkamp i'd love that yeah for me for me as well ghost mark Overmars. well I, there's a there's a an inherent difficulty there isn't there that he'd be invisible his teammates can't see him yeah either. they can't see him so how do you know and then if you put like can Ghosts can't wear shorts and a jersey, so there's no way. It's not like he's the invisible man, where you just see the clothes moving about. Ghost Mark Overmars would be, would be pretty useless actually. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, look, um, let's let's not worry about him. Let's not sign him up. But Android mm. Burkamp, if we can build an Android Burkamp, yeah. Yeah. That really is something we should be putting, apart from giving Ozil and Alexis their contracts, the rest of the money should be going on developing 
Burkamp 2.0. Yeah, absolutely. All right, our final one. Uh, ben H wants to know, when are you going to play each other on FIFA? Have you got FIFA 17 yet? I haven't, but I'm going to get it soon. I'm going to get it in the next couple of weeks because I... Basically, I... Are you, have you always been FIFA rather than Pro Evolution no, Soccer? No, I used to be Pro Evolution Soccer. I used to love Same. Pro Evolution Soccer. But and I migrated to FIFA. Yeah, so. me too. And it just is handier now for like playing online games against kids that do Cruyff turns against me. And sure, what have you. sure. But I've been playing a career mode on, uh, on FIFA 17, which is where you, know, you make yourself as a player. Okay. And, uh, How are you getting on? Who do I'm, you play for? I'm playing for Arsenal. I'm playing for Arsenal, but oh. I had to have a couple of loan spells. I spent a season on loan at Grimsby Town, you know, as you sort of play the games and your stats increase and you do the training routines and your stats sure. increase. So I was on loan at Grimsby Town and somebody else. So I'm, I'm actually starting quite regularly now for, for Arsenal, but it's that cool thing where you only control yourself yeah. and the rest of the game goes on. So you have to do the timing of the runs and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's quite good. I'm a, I'm a six-foot-tall striker. And uh, my commentary name is Mangane. There's some, Mangane. Player, there's, there's some player called Mangane. I thought I was going to be a shoe-in because of the guy who plays for Shrewsbury Town. Yeah. Called Andrew Mangan. I was thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to have my actual name in the game. It's going to be, it's going to be so cool. I'm just going to be Andrew Mangan. But no, it's, it's Mangan or Mangane, depending. if When I'm playing for Ireland in internationals, the commentator says Mangane. And then... I think, um, what's his name, the commentator? Martin Tyler says, Mongol, Mongol, something like that. So there must be a debate over how he's pronounced. Yes, there? absolutely. There have been uh, podcast questions, I'm sure, about how to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, you've got to be a striker, really, in that mode, haven't you? I mean, yeah. is anyone playing as a fullback in that? <laughs> I don't think, I don't know if you can be. Can you? Maybe you can play as a defender, but fuck. It'd be boring be as fun. shit. No. Yeah, yeah. You'd just be uh, like trying to run up the pitch the whole time to score, so he might as well be a striker. So Exactly. Well, you've ousted Olivier Giroud, have you, and Alexis to be... I yeah, Alexis is, Alexis is playing on the left. Alexis is playing on the left-hand side. Yeah. Uh, sure. Mesut Ozil's playing in behind me. I'm actually quite the assist maker as well. I've got a good few assists. This is my first full season with, with Arsenal. And um, I have to say as well, this might surprise a number of people, but... Uh, Arsenal captain Francis Coquelin is chipping really? in. Is chipping in with a number of goals from midfield. <laughs> so there's an air of unrealism about this game that I think EA Sports are going to have to address uh, for future uh, for future releases. But a yeah, patch. yeah, the, the yeah. cock patch. The uh, cock patch is required. Well, look, I'm going to get it in the next couple of weeks. So when I do, yeah. I'll let you know, and, and we we'll, we'll definitely phase. do it. It's almost like I'm avoiding it, isn't it? It's like I, it's like I uh, I know that there's a hiding coming my way. Well, we'll see. We'll see. It could be Can just... Can you play with Mangane up front? I don't know. I don't know how to do any of it, um, yeah. to be perfectly honest. Uh, <laughs> I, we'll figure it out, though. I did get an email from uh, a chap, uh, which I've saved. I can't remember his name, but he, he runs some big, like, streaming game website type thing. So he said, if you need any help, uh, let me know. And I will, okay. so I will let him know. But, you, you, yeah. yeah, we'll get it done in the next couple of weeks. and uh, He'll come to regret that offer. Yes, he certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, look, we're going to leave it there. Just to remind you that if you do listen to the podcast on iTunes, if you wanted to give us a rating or a review, that would be very, uh, very much appreciated. It helps put us up the iTunes charts and, uh, you know, helps feed our families and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, there he goes, of course. Say what? And our egos, of course. Our egos, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
They're yeah, just yeah. as important. Yes, exactly. We can. I was thinking more about the meatballs, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> we do have to afford these meatballs. Yeah, I've got a real hankering for meatballs now, James. I'm going to have to go make some. Okay, well, enjoy them. I will, I will. I'll make sure that the balls are small enough to fit in my mouth, unlike your do balls, you? which don't fit in my mouth. No, they won't. They wouldn't. <laughs> uh, sadly not. All right. Um, okay, well, look, I'll be here with an cast on Friday looking ahead to... Uh, the Borough game, looking back on the Ludogorets game, and myself and James will be here next Monday. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>